Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hello, everyone. Hello. We have a very exciting, enriching, chilling <laughs> episode for you all today. Um, coming to the tail end, the tailbone end of our Bodies and Oddities <laughs> <laughs> series uh, that we started a few weeks ago, uh, last year even. So today's discussion is going to be about the murders of Burke and Hare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, not, it's not good. <laughs> it's not the best. Otherwise known as the Anatomy Murders or the Westport Murders. Um, you could also think of them as body snatchers. So we kind of presaged this topic with John's bones a little bit, right, Katie? We did, yeah. So this is a true crime story. It is a very complicated story. Um, and it is about two guys named William, William Burke and William Hare. So that does not help with the confusingness of the story. <laughs> apologies in advance, because this will be extremely hard for me to remember. Um, but I will do my best. So you know a little bit about this one, right? This is a big story in your in your wheelhouse. Yes, I am completely fascinated by this story. It's so bizarre. It's so of a time. And it really does touch on almost everything we've talked about it in has. the last few months, minus the popes. Although I guess the papal bull does play a role in this. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> no, you're right. It synthesizes all of the little strands that we were talking about since John's Bones. Um, so it's really exciting. Yeah. Let's, let's dive in. Go, go. So we're talking about a series of 16 known murders that happened in the year 1828 in Edinburgh, Scotland. As opposed to the Victorian period, this is the Georgian period, referring to King yes. George IV, who was in charge at the time. So yes. the murderers are William Burke and William Hare. They are two men of Irish descent. They are living in Scotland. They moved to Edinburgh looking for opportunity, looking for work and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, Edinburgh was a center of anatomical study, anatomical science, and higher learning, uh, which it had been for a long time. So if you go back to like the Scottish Enlightenment, you know, you have Adam Smith, David Hume, all of these big thinkers who were writing books like Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations in which Thomas Jefferson lifted life, liberty, mm -hmm. and the pursuit of happiness. For uh, Adam Smith, it was life, liberty, and property. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> which makes you wonder, makes, you, mean, makes, you, make, makes you think. If doesn't. I had property, I might be happy. The pursuit of property, no happiness. Yeah, let's say happiness. Okay. Because <laughs> um, people are property. Okay, never mind. Um, so, oh. okay. So, along with the the anatomical theaters that we discussed weeks ago. So we talked about Padua. We talked a little bit about Leiden. Edinburgh emerges as another center of medical study. So it was it was a center of learning. There were doctors. There were schools, conservatories. All of this work being done. Um, so things like anesthesiology was improved in Edinburgh. Blood transfusions were performed in Edinburgh for the first time in the 19th century. So you had a couple of big famous names. And one of them is Dr. Alexander Monroe, um, who worked at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. Actually, he was a very disheveled, dull doctor, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Monroe. Dr. Uh, dull. Dr. Dullard. Uh, apparently, Charles Darwin was a former student of Dr. Monroe. And he described him uh, as extremely dull. And so maybe this, maybe this is part of the reason why Darwin pieced out of the medical field. <laughs> Which, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Monroe. <laughs> he like, he, there's, there's like a quote from him. There's a quote from Darwin like, Monroe was dull. <laughs> that is so funny because for Darwin to write about that guy, that guy really stuck out as being fucking dull. Right. And the, it's, is it this amazing? This is a guy who sat on an island nowhere and watched little teeny tiny creatures. Was just happy to watch <laughs> turtles in the sand all day. Yeah. And that guy was dull. Yeah. This guy knew dull. Darwin knew dull. You know, <laughs> there's high and low dull, I guess. Um, right. So it's the most boring man alive. Got it. The, the Go most on. boring man alive who's dissecting dead people. Another figure who is a big player in this story, folks, is Dr. Robert Knox, who is the head oh. of the Royal College of Surgeons, who gets a big eye roll from Katie. We got two eye rolls. He's a big a, stinker, that guy. We got a, we got an exhale. We got a, uh, we got a couple <laughs> of uh, negative results here. Um, 
However, in his time, Knox was a superstar. He Robert was. Knox was seen as one of the greatest anatomists of his age, even though he had lost one eye to smallpox as a boy. But that just makes him cooler, honestly. We love an eye patch moment. We- <laughs> <laughs> Doing surgery with one eye? Come the fuck on. That's it's- so Badass. Badass. And he was like a dandy. He wore the most amazing, you know, uh, 19th century frilly vestments and clothing. Was no, aside from him being a monster, I'm here for him. I love him <laughs> up until the crimes. <laughs> Knox in his villain era. Um, yeah. Yes. So living for this. Very living. Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 So there's all these dissections going on. So as we know from our previous discussions, folks, corpses, you need bodies to dissect. And the fresher, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so the demand exceeds supply from the weak and infirm, those who would be dead and dying, who would have the, be on the fast track to an anatomy theater. So there thus grows a market for uh, bodies, and bodies could be gained by ill or by good means, so to speak. You could have a found body. That someone who just died and no one claims them. Or you could have a a found body that was alive until you clobbered them on the head. So weird. Um, I just found this body. (laughs) So strange. So, Katie, you are a receptacle of, like, amazing work titles. Like, (laughs) right? So, you, because you, what was the one you brought up that, like, one of the first weeks? It was, like, people shoveling shit or it was something. I think it was one of the jobs with with the Broad Street Pump. Oh, uh, oh, the night soil men. The night soil men. Right. Yeah. That made me think of some of these other titles. Now, you're a body snatcher connoisseur. Do you remember and some of the other monikers of those who would grave rob to give to medical professionals? Yes. What I do remember them having a specific nickname. And I think even John referenced it in his episode. Yes. It's close to the night soil men. It's the night doctors. Night doctors. Yeah. that Which makes it sound nicer. <laughs> Sounds like sounds like a cool band. Well, I guess I guess night soilman is nicer than shit (laughs) shit shoveler. Shit shovelers, yeah. And it's just like all the night professionals come out. Like I'm a and like you know if you remember from Shelley Duvall's interview with Dr. Phil, she talks about night work a lot in that interview. Okay, anyways, that's another side story. Um, So poor thing. She's her own little morbid museum. She's coming back. Um, (laughs) So the night doctors are a menace to the 19th century sensibilities of the public. Here you have Mm. this new dirty job. They also called them resurrection men. That was the one that John mentioned. Yes. Resurrectionists or resurrection Yes, resurrectionists. Yep. Yeah. So resurrectionists, night doctors, they are stealing bodies from the grave. It's extremely morbid, macabre. It goes against everything in Christian sensibility, not to mention it's damn dirty, filthy, awful, mean, you know, gross work. Um, It's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's a fucked and up job. More often than not, a corpse in a graveyard wouldn't even be suitable for a dissection Mm-mm. unless they were a young corpse, so to speak. Uh, you got to be on top of it. Freshly <laughs> dead. Yeah. So there were several countermeasures that were taken by the people of the time to safeguard against the night doctors and the resurrectionists. And the most famous was the Mort Safe, which mm-hmm. was a metal cage that would basically go uh, just above the earth and into the earth and around the coffin. So you prevent you from getting a shovel or a spade into the earth to take out a body. And the mort safe would be placed over a coffin for about six weeks, which was the prime time for taking a body for dissection. After six weeks, eh, they're no longer not worth the squeeze anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that, of course, created another market for night watchmen who would be employed at cemeteries and burial grounds. They built little towers, little sentry houses for them, and they would look out for these guys. Um, Militia, different armed units would Mm -hmm. be mustered to expel them. And so also what I didn't know until I looked into this was that the bereaved, those who were grieving, would often dig heather and branches into the earth above a grave because that would make it more difficult to disturb. So people would sort of so, yeah, people would sort of stuff the turf above a grave with other plant life or branches so that it would just make it more difficult. The idea is that if someone, if a grave robber sees a virgin pile of dirt, they're like, hot dog. Yeah, um, it's so, clear. Yes. So they would go out of their way to really disincentivize that. Mm. Um, you're, disgu- so, you're disguising the grave as much as you can. Exactly. True. Yeah. And so this is the milieu of 
Birkenhair. And so enter William Burke. William Burke, as I said, is Irishman. He's running a lodging house and he befriends a young man named uh, William Burke. And so <laughs> they liked each other right away because both Willie and Willie, William. Willie and Bill <laughs> they laughed about it. <laughs> they love each other. Um, they're key. No. Uh, so <laughs> in William Hare's lodging house, there was an old lodger named Donald Darty. And he died of dropsy before oh, he. Donald. You poor, poor old Donald. thing. You, you got poor the, old thing. <laughs> you got the dropsy again, don't you, love? Um, which of I course... apologize in advance because I also just watched the Banshees of Inishirin, so it oh, might going hard God. on the Irish accent. I need to see that. So Donald Doherty dies. He owes back rent. He can't pay his rent. He's dead. He hasn't received his pension. Um, dropsy is a form of edema. Uh, from the time. Mm. So like fluid retention in the limbs yeah. and things like that. Ooh, Body circulation. Awful. Gross. Bad way Painful. to go. Yeah. Bad. Um, so uh, Hare and his fiendishly desperate friend William Burke have an idea. Let's sell the body of Donald to a surgeon. Because those guys always need bodies, don't they? Light bulb. <laughs> right. So it was kind of two birds at one stone. We get rid of this body. We get some money. Everything is good. Because these guys are destitute. They're motivated by money. They have no money. They had work in cobbling, you know, different kinds of little pursuits, but nothing really successful. And where they are, we're talking about them living in not a great area. Like mm -hmm. when you think of, you know, the visual of like Jack the Ripper kind of streets, like that kind of like grossness is where they're sort of taking up their residency at the time. So yeah, that helps a lot with sort of their bad ideas. <laughs> it was a dirty town. Yeah. A lot of dirty jobs in that dirty town. Yeah. I'll get to that sort of thinking on that concept in a moment because the big thing is like, how did they move these bodies? So right. there's this famous tea chest that apparently was used to convey multiple bodies. And I guess they would hire porters to move the tea chest. So they, they stuffed Donald in a tea chest. They had to like crumple him up. They took his clothes off. They put him in the box and they take him to Surgeon Square where they're going to meet Dr. Knox. Now I've been to Edinburgh. It's a very hilly town. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking about all of this movement of these bodies from, you know, like a mile or two away to back and forth. It's a lot of movement. So there's a lot of evidence of them hiring porters who had a cart who would quickly help them move these things yeah. back and forth. So uh, the undertakers actually, but in this case, the undertakers put Doherty in a coffin because this was their first crime. Burke and Hare remove the body from the coffin as a switcheroo once the undertakers leave because they're like, okay, we the body's in the coffin. You're going to pay respects and then we'll see you at the cemetery, whatever, right? Um, so as soon as the undertakers leave, Burke and Hare remove the body. They fill it with tree bark from the, from the tanners. The tanners <laughs> the closed. Switcheroo. The old switcheroo. So it's like, it's like, oh damn, Donald. Um, so they fill the <laughs> coffin up with wood, and um, they took it to Doctor Knox. And Doctor Knox is greeted by these two men at Surgeon Square, and uh, he sees the body, and he pays seven pounds ten shillings to Burke and Hare for the body of Donald Darty. No questions asked. Basically none. Uh, yep. Oh, this man has freshly died. Yes, he has. No family, no claim. Here he is. Awesome. Um, <laughs> awesome. Great. Good for me. And because, you know, Dr. Knox is cranking out uh, these dissections in yeah. the theater and he's making a lot of money. He's charging a lot of money. He's getting yeah. a lot of people in the building. Um, he needs fresh bodies. And each body poses a new theatrical element that he could, you know, show to people. He was a brilliant yeah. orator from all accounts. So seven pounds, 10 shillings is about 508 pounds in 2017 money. About six hundred twenty-eight U.S. dollars today's money. It's a lot of money. Um, yeah. So these two men, sort of, the light bulb goes off pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> yes, this and wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I believe Burke was like a soldier in the Napoleonic War, so he was a that sounds know, familiar. Yeah, a spry guy. He was athletic. Um, he was a weaver. He was a cobbler. He made shoes. William Burke met a young lady named Helen McDougall, who became his partner. William Hare and Margaret Laird were also partnered. They were kind of like common law spouses. They weren't mm -hmm. really married. Both parties weren't really. Both couples were like lightly married. They weren't really living in sin. <laughs> just, just yeah, just screwing. Um, so. <laughs> Screwing and killing. Yeah, basically. Awesome. <laughs> um, so now they've got this great idea. Of course, I'm, I'm sure they are encouraged by their spousal partners to continue whatever they're doing to make the rent and to keep the money flowing. Yeah, they're making um, money. Yeah, they're making <laughs> money, love. So fast forward to the first murder. Uh, Joseph 
a miller uh, lodges with hair. And a lot of these folks, folks have no human trace to them yeah. in that they were off the grid, they were poor, they were itinerant travelers. So there's not a lot of humanity we can attach to them. We can only ponder their existence and sadly understand that they would not be a footnote in history had Birkenhair not killed them. Yeah. But we should still acknowledge you know, who they were to some level and yeah. what, what the record will show us. No, that's very true. And once again, it's similar with Jack the Ripper. It's, it's opportunistic killing, picking yes. people who are easy kills. Yes. In that way, you know, they, it was, you know, horrible idea, but a smart one yeah. to do it this way. Yeah. So in the first killing, because the first, the first crime was a crime of uh, convenience in terms of like misplacement of a body or, mis yeah, just or worked out. <laughs> unlawful transportation of a body, no yeah. killing. But now they're thinking, let's just kill this guy. So uh, Joseph <laughs> is plied with whiskey by the two men. This is their main operation. Their mode, their MO, their modus operandi is they basically would get you drunk. They apparently were very charming. So they would just, you know, get you in their embrace, come to our boarding house, have a drink, and they would get you loaded and then they mm -hmm. would suffocate you. So usually one of the men would hold you down and the other one would suffocate you, putting their hands over your neck, over your mouth, over where you breathe. Um, and that's exactly what happened to Joseph the Miller. So he's suffocated, tucked into the tea chest and delivered to Robert Knox at Surgeon Square. And at the time, Robert Knox curated the Surgeon's Hall Museum, which housed a lot of medical oddities from the time period. So <laughs> Knox is also, you know he's harvesting these people for like weird bones and weird mm -hmm. organs and like just awful exhibitionism of the human body. Extremely unethical, very sensational. And even at this point, <laughs> Some of his colleagues are like not happy with him, and they do think he's like a show, a showboating asshole, and something's not right. Like I, I from what I've read, that like pretty early on, they're like, this guy's not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was like a superstar, but he was not seen as like highbrow anatomy. Respected amongst his own peers. Yeah, yeah. and he, they were so competitive. Absolutely, they were, they were so competitive. They're all jockeying for like these royal commissions, absolutely, and fame and all of this stuff. And he is like the biggest gaslighter, you know, freaking. Um, he's putting the butts in the seats. So he is. Fuck you. He's the biggest ham, the biggest ham of yeah. them all. Um, so Robert Knox is impressed by the ripeness of this cadaver of Joseph Ooh. the Miller. Ooh, nice and fresh. And pays the two men 10 pounds, which, depending on who you talk to, is be between 1,000 to 1,300 US dollars today. Um, so they're getting a lot of money, folks, for this. So this is the financial incentive. Um, so there's a contract an informal contract that all three parties enter into after the, the first, the second body is delivered of Joseph the Miller. Um, you will, Robert Knox says, if you continue to bring me these bodies, if you can bring me a couple bodies a month, I will give you 10 pounds for each body you give me in the wintertime and eight pounds for every body you can give me in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> we have a harder time keeping them in the summertime. They get real melty. They get real melty. And so I was trying to suss this out. I was like, so maybe it was like really gross to go to a dissection in July. Maybe they didn't do them as often. I um, think probably it was that when I remember when I talked about the anatomy theater, like they would work on one body for an extended period of time. He probably didn't get as many days out of a body. That yeah, could, could be why. That's, well, that's the main reason is the preservation. Yeah. So um, like in the wintertime, oh, I could do I could do this one body for like. 10 days, but even in the summertime, been, even I'm, lucky if, yeah, yeah. I'm lucky if I can get five. That makes sense. You know, so yeah. that may, that's the only thing I could think of. And it must get, and and yeah. the smell just quadruples that it becomes Correct. unbearable to be in Correct. the theater at that point. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ew. <laughs> ee all right, so they have this contract, so they go forward. They're going to go together. Um, there's additional murders. The sequence is unclear, depending on who you talk to, beginning in February of 1828. So it's wintertime. It's the killing mm -hmm. season. Let's get these bodies cooking. Yeah, it's time um, to make the money. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, a lot of these folks have very little detail about them. As I said, yeah. the second victim was a tall British man, may have been 40 years old. He was a match seller from no Cheshire. No name. No name. That's awful. No name. Yeah. Um, he came to the house, the lodging house with jaundice. And mm. they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you're already, you're already weak. Okay. And you've got a medical oddity. Let's talk about it. So, oh. um, so <laughs> here's my question to you, Katie. You, you can drug someone. They're mm. drugged. What's the word when you get someone drunk? Is it drunked? <laughs> <laughs> they drunked him. 
They loaded him up. Yeah, right. <laughs> Liquored him up. The old Rasputin. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to Rasputin him. Um, it was he went down They're much quicker than Rasputin. He that, yeah, no, put up no fight. That um, is not what they wanted. <laughs> so they get him drunk. They murder him. Ten pounds. Doctor Knox. Cha-ching. Another another victim, Abigail Simpson, an elderly lady, was befriended actually by William and Margaret. So the the women were often working together. This one this. sticks out to me, and it's really sad. Yeah. So now it's the two. It's it's the it's the, Mary, it's the it's the couple, William and Margaret. They befriend this old lady. She's traveling, looking for relatives. They take her back to the house. William and Helen are waiting. The women sort of distract her while the men get everything ready. Give her some whiskey. Give her some whiskey, talk her up, give her a little food, make her feel comfortable, make her feel at ease. The women, of course, help with that. A, wom a woman's thinking she's in safe company with other women. Absolutely. Um, so they also get her drunk, and Hare suffocates her with her ha his hands on her neck, and Burke held her down. Another 10 pounds from Knox. Now, my question is, does Dr. Knox see that these people have died essentially in the same way? Has Dr. he noticed? Knox doesn't care he does not care he does, he not, does care. not care from everything yeah. i've read and heard it, he knew new, he knew there was foul play uh, he 100 percent knew and didn't care right because i can never I'm sure he never asked where they were coming from how did these oh. how did these guys just come into bodies no no he didn't do his research <laughs> did not do his research and like the hyoid bone or whatever would be broken like there'd be so many like tells yeah. from these suffocations so this guy was a real dirty mf -er. oh, um, the dirtiest and real quick question for you luke is it generally i feel like again i haven't read up on this in a while i feel like one of them was generally the killer yes was it hair yeah so we know that hair usually does the suffocating yeah. and burke would hold them down right that's what i thought and so that kind of because he's the keep... scarier one too from everything i've read yes Yes. So keep that in your mind, folks, of how these two men are working together. But there is one guy who's got more of a violent streak in him. Yeah. And that is William Hare, as opposed to William Burke, who's more of the reluctant killer. Yeah. Um, He'll participate, so, but he doesn't want to actually be the one to take the life. I will accessorize this crime. I will not. <laughs> I will not be the main propagator, um, perpetuator. Whatever. Whatever uh, rater. Refrigerator. Refrigerator. You got it. Uh, yep. Incinerator. Great. Um, <laughs> incinerator. That's an idea. Um, <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so in the spring now, the fourth victim, Margaret Laird, lures a young woman to the lodging house. She is put to bed. Hair kills her. Burke's not even there. Yeah. So that's, of course, evidence of what you're saying is that one of them is more violent than the other. Uh, and Burke is summoned to help carry the body. Mm -hmm. So they were not always together. And this is yeah. an important sticking point in their relationship. Um, April 1828, Mary Patterson and Janet Brown, two 18-year-old prostitutes, are lured to Burke's brother's house in Canongate. These guys went all over town. And they brought people all like at least three different killing locations. Um, and so this is just crazy to me. So it's just yeah. also risky. You're outnumbered. You're the only one. It's one guy yeah. on, two, on two women. So Mary Patterson drinks until passing out. And but then, that's the thing. We're not talking about like, oh, I had a couple of whiskeys. We're talking about people getting fucking loaded. Like beyond drunk to the point where like, yeah, they're either already unconscious or like falling asleep or whatever. Or sometimes it's, yeah, they've, they've like gone to bed, right? They're already in bed sleeping by the time they do the deed. So, you know, it, this isn't just like your standard, oh, she's tipsy, so now I can do what I need to do. That's not what this yeah. is. <laughs> no, and because it, it's it, there's not a lot of physical struggle that goes on because people are pretty much incapacitated. Yeah. And so Burke tries to seduce uh, Janet Brown, and now that Patterson is passing out, Helen Burke arrives, wifey, and she beats up William Burke, being like, what the fuck you doing? You're flicking with these broads. Um, this may That's have been exactly an act. exactly what she sounded like. <laughs> this may have been an act. This may have. <laughs> you flicking broads. Uh <laughs> Excellent Scottish accent. William. William. And so uh, that may have been part of the act. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever happens, Janet escapes. One of the only victims that got away. Yeah. Um, so right. um, Janet gets out of there. Um, and Mary is later murdered by uh, Helen and William Burke. Mm -hmm. Mary Patterson's indignity is something to consider here. Her hair was cut short. 
she, her body was kept in a whiskey barrel by Dr. Knox. Terrible. And he apparently would display her body for a number of weeks, would take it out to, to be mocked by onlookers. Fuck you, guy. So she did not have a, you know, she was not dissected within short turn. She was a sort of trophy. And not by the killers, but by Dr. Knox. So that speaks to the callousness and the, maybe it's something about the, so we talk about gallows humor and the overexposure and how you can get, you can get into a dark place with dark matter. Um, but this is just women hating. This is women shaming. This is, of course, her being a woman of the evening. All of these things are wrapped up. And also we know that Dr. Knox was a scientific racist in that he believed in a hierarchy of races, mm -hmm. which I'm sure also leads to things like, you know, there's a lot of prejudice towards the Irish, towards different kinds of folk in the Anglosphere, you know, depending yeah. on what kind of work you have, what kind of name you have. There's a whole strata and caste system that exists within that culture at the time, Sure. Um, which I'm sure is like, oh, this woman is a prostitute because she has, you know, Celtic lips or whatever yeah. the fuck, you know, they would just right. make <laughs> exactly, um, you know, fish gate mouth, whatever. So. <laughs> oh, I know the type. Oh, yeah. It'd smell you a mile away. Um, <laughs> so she's dissected months later, and apparently he charged really high prices to see her dissect. So like he like he like doubled the, the cost of the ticket. So keep going. There's two more victims that are coming down the pike in quick succession: Elizabeth and Margaret Haldane, which are actually a mother and a daughter. And this is so yeah. weird. So um Elizabeth, the mother, is lured into the house and killed. Months later, her daughter appears in Edinburgh and somehow ends up in the same boarding house and is also killed. So it's were it's they the like, only game in town? Like, <laughs> what is so hot about this boarding house? They got all the whiskey. <laughs> I'm like, they, are they charging you like two shillings a night? Like the best price ever? You know, it's it's bizarre. And free whiskey. Sure, free drinks. Everyone um, was sad back then, so, you know. Super sad, super sad. All the whiskey. Um, another victim, a gentle lady by the name of Effie. She was known as a cinder gatherer. Great job, I bet. Such a great sounding job, but it's not really a job. No, you would just you would just look for scraps of stuff in oh. trash and either eat it or sell it. Oh, um, honey, she's a she fell She fell asleep in the stable next to the boarding house. And was smothered. Oh, she didn't even have anything to do with the stupid boarding house. She just fell no, asleep too she close just to was those looking monsters. For some cinder. She was just looking for some cinder. Oh, honey. And yeah. Um, another drunk woman, uh, the ninth victim, was apparently so drunk that she was being aided by two constables. And Burke and Hare said, hey, <laughs> we'll take her off your hands. You don't need to worry about her. We'll make sure she gets home. Wink, wink. Oh, Cops are like, Such Great. Dahmer vibes. Ugh. So much Dahmer vibes. Yeah. Ooh, so Don't do of, that, police. A <laughs> lot of incompetence. So um, she's, of course, dispatched of. The 10th and 11th victims are also related. They're a grandmother and a grandson, who I believe are also nameless. And they were traveling through the country um, looking for a family in Edinburgh. And it was late in the day. And they said, hey, mm. grandma, yo. Come stay with us, put up those dogs, have a drink, rest, <laughs> relax, spend the night, and then tomorrow you can go see your son. She's like, oh, great. And so grandmother gets drunk and she gets killed in a bedroom uh, while the ladies are looking after the boy by the fireplace. The grandson is getting increasingly nervous and Ooh. he eventually is carried to the back room and killed. Awful. It seems in the, some of the sources that they debated letting him go or debated you know, not killing him, but I mean, how could they? He, he was suffocated. Yeah. yeah. And so we mentioned that Hare was the more callous killer and that Burke may have had more of a conscience or less evil in him. Burke was apparently haunted by the dead boy for the rest of his life, you know, remarking that mm. seeing his eyes weep with tears as he suffocated, the expression on his face he would see in his nightmares. Good. And so, so apparently the grandma and grandson, they're way too big for the tea chest, both of them. What are you going to oh. do? So we got to put one in a tea chest, one in a barrel. The barrel you could roll, right? Do a barrel roll, you know, roll it up the hill, roll it down the hill, whatever. But they get a cart for the bodies. They put the bodies on a cart. And apparently this horse that they owned wouldn't walk past the grass market and just stop moving, just stop walking. And no matter how many times they begged the horse to move, the horse wouldn't move. And now there's like a crowd gathering. I can't be a part of this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this is awful. I um, have morals. 
<laughs> Mr. Ed, circa 1828. Um, so apparently there's a crowd gathering around Burke and Hare, and they're like, ah, you fuckers, you can't get your horse to walk in. <laughs> Everyone, in, in case you didn't know, by the way, the Scottish accent was very different in the mid-1800s. It was. They all sounded like, like um, <laughs> the assistant of Jabba the Hutt, who is sitting next to Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> it was weird how it changed over time. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> So apparently they like the horse just would not go. So apparently they had to like hire a porter to carry the bodies the rest of the way. Oh. Hare was Hare was so mad when he got back to the stable, he shot and killed the horse. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. Bad. Good for that horse though. He definitely went to heaven. <laughs> he did. He went to horsey heaven. He went to um, horsey heaven. <laughs> uh a few more murders to go. So William Burke and Helen McDougal traveled briefly to see family on returning they discover that Hare murdered someone without them and took Ooh. the money yeah they had a big fight and burke moved out thing is you know Hare still needed money so sure he did what he had to do and i think um, i had read that they had made a deal that they mm, would never do that independently that yeah. with any opportunity that came along it was 50 50 and they would always do this together so that's yeah. what was like extra fucked up about that. <laughs> How dare you sure. commit murders? How dare <laughs> you commit an unsanctioned murder? Well, I'm on vacation. I can't just have a vacation. I can't just have one vacation. One vacation. That's all I asked for. So now William. we're getting into October of 1828. It's all happening in one year, folks. 1828, the reign of terror of Burke and Hare. It's crazy. Yeah, October of that year, Mrs. Hostler, a washerwoman, comes to the house offering to do laundry for the household. Right. She killed. Um, and what's crazy is that these oftentimes these folks are stripped of their clothing. And as we know, before mass production, clothing was very expensive and it was not something you would just dispose of. Like we might say like, oh, I found this random sweater in like this hallway, like disgusting, like burn it. Yeah, they would. They would not do that in 1828. They'd be like, what size is that? Oh. Which is also um, gross because people weren't changing their clothes very no. often. Those clothes no, no, were probably no. disgusting. Yeah, this is long before savers, folks. Um, yeah. So uh, these clothes kind of pile up. Some of them leave the household and they come back to bite Burke and Hare in the ass. Right, um, I forgot about that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> There's another lady who has a name, Anne McDougal, who apparently was a relative of Helen McDougal. She was killed. And apparently at some point during this whole thing, when it was getting really desperate, they actually were thinking about killing Helen McDougal. Burke and Hare were like, let's take out your wife next. Like, let's take out your wife. Crazy post-reality, post-scruples life they lived in. They're getting away with it. They're getting paid. Dr. Knox is like loving them. They're living they the high no life. They have no souls anymore. They're Whatever semblance yeah. of a soul either the, of them once had is long fucking gone. Has been horcruxed to death. Um, <laughs> so number 14 is really one of the sadder ones. James Wilson, who is known as Daft Jamie to those I in the story. Edinburgh community. Jamie was a person of mental difference. He had a disability and he had uh, famously deformed feet. So he often walked around with bare feet. He was one they should not have trifled with for several reasons. One being that Jamie, despite his disability, had great strength. He was not a drinker. He was something of a teetotaler. So the two guys, yeah. maybe he drank a, a drink or two and they thought they could take him out. It is likely that he was sober. And so Jamie fought the pair with great resistance. He was finally suffocated and he was brought to Dr. Knox and they were given 10 pounds. When they get to Dr. Knox's office, there were always assistants there who would help mm -hmm. Dr. Knox process the bodies. And the assistants saw Daft Jamie. They saw James Wilson and they were like, we know this person. Um, yeah. And this doesn't look right. And they also thought that they could not dissect a known person Mm -hmm. In this public setting. This is, again, the only scruples that remain in this city are coming out of these assistants. Knox overrules them, saying that who cares? Who, who gives a And uh, word gets out about Jamie being missing. People like, where's Jamie? He's always walking down this close. He comes and says hello. We give him a cup of coffee. He begs over here. He knows yeah, his dog. Yeah, he's like this beloved Beloved, yeah. beloved neighborhood fixture. Yeah. And so he is quickly, people are like, where is he? There's this like search for him. And so Knox is now afraid that Wilson will be recognized when he's put on the slab. So what does he do? 
he cuts off his head and his feet so that he would not be recognized. Really despicable, really terrible. Lots and, of unethical stuff. And there's stuff going no on. question as to whether or not Nux knows that this is not legit. Okay. Yeah. No, no way. No way. But he's he's ripping through this, you know, dissection theater. So in October of 1828, uh, later on that month, Margaret Doherty, a middle-aged Irish woman, uh, was in Edinburgh. She is met by Burke. She is lured to Brogan's lodging house. William Burke claimed that, oh, we're related. Um, you know, I have a Doherty <laughs> on my mom's side, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't. Oh, yo, oh, yo, wee young lad. Okay, so she's going with him. This is something else. They were so charming, apparently. I know. All I these murderers are. Oh, they always are. Um, so they were great conversationalists. They could ply you. They could, you know, seduce you. Never trust a charming man. <laughs> really never trust two. And definitely not if they have wives. And don't give them a free drink. Yeah, exactly. Don't take a free drink. Don't ever um, take a drink from anyone ever. <laughs> so this is probably when the guys were getting to their sloppiest, right? They're getting really carefree. So Mrs. Doherty is eventually murdered in the Brogan's boarding house, a new location, mm -hmm. and she's placed under a pile of straw. The problem is... <laughs> the perfect crime. <laughs> the, the problem is... Right. You know, the straw helps absorb the blood anyway. Put her on... Okay. Um, I understand. You know what to see. Okay. So now uh, Burke is staying at this Brogan's boarding house lodging house there's other people there uh yeah so they don't own it like like hair does. so there's a married couple Anne and james gray heroes of the story Love they them. are lodging at the house and they were paid 10 pounds an entire body's worth of shekels to sleep at william Hare's for the night Mm -hmm. So they're like, yo, can you guys just sleep over here? Because we're just going to have a little party. We're going to do some shrooms. Like, just <laughs> it'd be great if we just had the place ourselves. Also, just mind that pile of straw over there. It's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. It's nothing. But like, you know. Cover your nose. Know. Breathe through your nose. Okay, great. Um, just, yeah. You're, so you're going to want to go. Upon returning, apparently the Greys came back to the boarding house and then Burke and Hare like, hey, we're going to the pub. See you later. And the Greys, as soon as the door closes, like when you're a 10 year old kid and your mom leaves the house, they like run to the freaking bedroom. Oh my God. Oh my God. What's going on? And they like find her body immediately. And so they leave to report this to the police. They are intercepted by Helen McDougal, who offers to pay the couple another 10 pounds a week for their silence. She tries to blackmail and bribe them so that they will keep quiet. They're like, we're good. See you later. So they they go off. McDougal's Finally, like, people with morals in this story. Some freaking morals. So Helen McDougal freaks out. She runs back to the boarding house telling them the jig is up. So while the Greys are making their report, Burke and Hare deposit the body at Dr. Knox's so they get rid of the evidence, right? Mm -hmm. Again, perfect crime. <laughs> perfect crime. Now, unlike today, whereas the cops would be there immediately, right. the cops get there the next day to the boarding house. Well, you know, we've all had a bit to drink ourselves. Let's have so a pint, boys. I'm going to have she'll to wait a day or two. It should still be day tomorrow. Let's go. <laughs> so they go to the boarding house and they find what? Some blood-stained old marmy clothing under the bed that they forgot to remove. Imagine that. Whoops. Um, thus begins the chapter known as the comeuppance, ladies and gentlemen. Do, for do, do, do. For Burke and Hare. Um, so the Hares and the Burks, which I'll call them that, even though they're common law. That's married. fine if they're not. Yeah. yeah, no, it's easier than going McDougal. McDougal and Laird and blah, blah, blah. No, blah, blah, blah. So the Burks and the Hares are arrested. And the police go to Knox's office to find Margaret Doherty freshly dead. Dr. Robert Christensen examines her body. He interviews Knox. And, of course, Dr. Knox claims that the men... Uh, watched boarding houses and they purchased bodies before they could be claimed by other people. Uh, what? They were just always in the right place at the right time. I had no idea. I'm just a baby. I don't know what happened. I, I can't believe it. What? what? Murdered? Can you tell? I got that body with no head or feet. I don't know. Can you tell they were murdered? I mean, are you a doctor? Um, <laughs> like, so, no proof. So Christensen <laughs> charitably finds Knox deficient in principle and heart but not guilty of a crime i love that <laughs> i love so that funny. it's so dirty yeah Stupid. it's a big it's a big insult um so uh burke's statement later that he would make in court would exonerate knox and he says dr knox neither taught 
or encouraged him to murder any person. And he didn't from every bit of evidence that no, exists. he was very much like, see, no evil here, no evil, which was which is the way to play it. If you're going to be a despicable piece of shit in that moment. So all four, the Burks and the Hares, men and women are charged with murder. However, we have a problem, folks, as we know from watching true crime. No body, no crime. No crime. Where the body at? We only have Margaret Darty. So Janet Patterson, the prostitute who escaped, reported them. Mm-hmm. A local baker claimed that Burke's nephew was wearing James Wilson's trousers. Remember how expensive those clothes were? So expensive that it cost you you your freedom. So we've got some evidence. We've got some circumstantial evidence that we can maybe point to three murders, right? You've got the murder of the prostitute Mary. You've got James Wilson. You've got Margaret Doherty. So you've got three threads of evidence that can maybe connect that. Pretty impressive, all things considered. Yeah. And so there's a deal that needs to be struck to move this along because both men are very recalcitrant. Um, You know, they're giving conflicting statements. The women are very combative. This, these interviews are not really going anywhere. The clock is ticking, and the local government wants to get this case done and dusted because the word is getting out, and people are losing their mind. That oh, because sixteen it's people were killed. Right? Yeah. They're just like, this is unconscionable. This is unreal. How dare this doctor be a part of this? This is disgusting. These guys mm-hmm. are gonna hang. Blah blah blah. So to get this moving, the prosecution comes up with a, a tact, a strategy. They're gonna offer hair immunity. If he offers King's evidence, a.k.a. he makes a full confession and hopefully throws his buddy under the bus. Right. So that's exactly what happens. So Hare sings like a canary and he says that Burke did all of the killing. Motherfucker. Mm -hmm. So Burke and McDougal are charged with the murders of Margaret Doherty, James Wilson and Mary Patterson. So the trial, this is crazy. The Mm -hmm. trial begins on like almost the last day of 1828. Christmas Eve. Yay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, 1828. The High Court of Justiciary at the Scottish Parliament is packed, mobbed with people who are out for blood. Hundreds of constables and the local cavalry are called in to keep the peace, like to control these people who it's Christmas Eve. So they already got to get drunk. Like, and now they're yeah. just going, going crazy. You just got to make it to midnight mass. Other than that, you're fine. I got the whole day ahead of me. <laughs> Yes. And so the public came to believe that William Burke was the ringmaster and that William Hare was the follower. This is the narrative. And so apparently a new word was coined from that called burking. Yep. that meant to smother a victim or to commit an anatomy murder, which is what this was known as. Mm-hmm. Um, and a rhyme began circulating around the streets of Edinburgh. Up the clothes and doing the stair, button Ben with Birkin hair. Burke's the butcher, hair's the thief, knocks the boy that buys the beef. Thus is the 19th century Edinburgh rhyme about Birkin hair. Yeah. It's more than f- inaccurate, <laughs> but you know, entertaining. Knocks the boy that buys the beef. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, More than 50 witnesses are called in this trial, which is outrageous that that many people had a piece of that story, including Dr. Knox and the Hares. William Hare on the stand says that Burke commits the murders while McDougal helps keep them at the house and that he only helped with delivery. I only helped move the bodies. I didn't even touch them when they were alive. Mm -hmm. I I I just work here. Okay. I didn't kill them, Your Honor. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Margaret, of course, backs up the story of her husband that this is the way it went. Shocking. Shocking. This is the shortest trial of all time for something of this scale. This is over at 830 in the morning on Christmas Day, 1820. <laughs> I didn't remember that. <laughs> they did this all night. So Fuck. they finally, they they made like closing statements like 5.30 and they had like a break and the jury, the jury came back within like a couple hours. It was very quick. Well, probably also everyone wanted to go home for Christmas. <laughs> It's crazy that they started this on Christmas Eve. Like, it's just crazy, the whole thing. Like, it sort of was like, going into trial on Christmas Eve, you're like, I'm not coming out of this, right? Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hanged. Yeah, if um, they're not going to delay this, you know it's not fucking good. Yeah. So, William Burke is found guilty, and his sentence is to be executed, hanged by the neck until dead. Whereas Helen... Inconclusive. We're not sure about her. So she's kind of, she kind of gets off the hook. So only William Burke is the one who is guilty and is really pays any real, pr- well, he pays the price. He pays Everybody the else price. pays a price. Let's get, let's get that twisted. Yeah. The best part is what the judge says. He gives a scathing, scathing admonition from it's, the bench. 
I love, I love stuff like this. Hit it. It's so good. Hit it. Your body should be publicly dissected and anatomized. And I trust that if it is ever customary to preserve skeletons, yours will be preserved in order that posterity may keep in remembrance your atrocious crimes. You'll be killed by the state and then you'll be dissected by the state. That is what the judge is saying here. Scathing. Love it. Vicious, vindictive Christmas Day message of burning hell, you bastard. And Merry Christmas. And Merry Goddamn Christmas. You goddamn your soul. <laughs> Where's the book? Let me throw it at him. Um, he has a month of life, uh, and Burke is hanged on the 28th of January, 1829. This was also a huge event in Edinburgh history. There may have been 25,000 people there. The entire town was there. Wow. Apparently, this is really funny. So I have the unique, you know, I love I, I love that I have been to Edinburgh and I've been to some of these places and I know some of yeah. the layout. So there were tenements all along this area. This is right near uh, St. Giles Cathedral, which is where Queen Elizabeth was briefly when she laid in state in Scotland. She was there. It's right along the Royal Mile, this huge mm -hmm. touristy strip in uh, Scotland today. So there's all these tenement buildings around the square. People would charge five to 20 pounds to rent their window a la mm. Teddy Roosevelt at, at Lincoln's yeah. funeral. <laughs> so totally. You could, buy, you could buy a window to see William uh, Burke be hanged. So uh, it was crazy. It was a big deal. In February, just a few days later, Burke is dissected by Dr. Monroe, Dr. Alexander Monroe, who we talked about in the beginning at the old college anatomy theater. Uh, at this point, Dr. Knox's star is precipitously falling. Um, oh, that's too so bad. Too bad for him. Police had to be called when large numbers of students gathering at the theater were demanding access for the lecture of Dr. Monroe to see the dissection of Burke. Mm. Uh, only a limited number of tickets, of course, have been issued. A minor riot ensues, and calm was only restored after one of the professors negotiated with the crowd that they could see Burke's body because they would come through they, they would allow them to come through the theater in batches of 50 after the dissection. Look, you motherfuckers, just be quiet. You can see the dead body. After we're done, you can come by in groups of 50. You fucking creeps. Fine. You goddamn ghouls. Got it. Good. So apparently, oh, this is so great. During the procedure, which lasted two hours, you got to wait two hours. So go get a pint, mm. come back. You can see the body. Monroe dips his quill into Burke's blood and writes a message. This is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. The blood was taken from his head. <laughs> now it's a it's kind of a badass moment, but it's also like a dull ass message. <laughs> like, <laughs> How <it> about is... <laughs> that? The end. I mean Dr. Monroe living up to it, man. Um, the, but he's so not Knox. Imagine the he's not. cool ass message Knox. Knox <laughs> would have done a calligraphy, a manifesto. He would have done a freaking How you like me now, motherfuckers. <laughs> So many fucks. Um, so Burke was flayed. Ugh, even though he was dead. So yeah, but that's um, part of the the indignity. Anat anatomizing also. Yes. Yeah. And his skin apparently was preserved and made into a notebook. Ew. So the cover of a notebook was made Ew. from Burke's skin. <laughs> yeah. Um, hair was eventually released. Uh, Helen McDougal Burke left Edinburgh and disappeared. There's not much known about hair after this incident. Which All the other so parties. Nuts. Yeah. Margaret Laird, William Hare, Helen McDougal. They're all, they all have various stories of being accosted by mobs in the immediate days after. Yeah. I'd heard, I'd, so I'd like, read about that at some point. Yeah. yeah. Like one of them, one of the women's trying to get on a train and then she gets mobbed on the train and she has to get off at the next station and the mob follows her and like the cops try to protect her. So literally all three of these other parties who are charged with these crimes disappear. So they purposefully take themselves away, whether they went to America, whether they live somewhere else, where they changed their names. Yeah. We have no idea. I imagine all of the above, probably. Mm -hmm. Knox resigned from the College of Surgeons. Um, oh. there, are some, there are some pieces of evidence that I would say that claim that he was expelled from the college. And he apparently was able to have a, a successful career in London later on. Oh, he was actually expelled because he uh, there was foul play where he was falsifying a student's documentation, which I believe would be like a rich kid saying, hey, can you say I got an A on that thing? I'll pay you 10 quid. Oh my and God. he's like, sure. <laughs> 
I don't give a so shit. So <laughs> they didn't get him for basically assisting murder. Yeah. But they got him for the equivalent of like the current do not the mess. college scandals that happened here do in the Do not mess States. with the college credits. Okay. Do we not don't mess with like that. it. No, we don't like that. Ooh. Um Knox goes on and he dies in 1862 in his 70s. So he had a full life. <sighs> However. The legacy of Burke and Hare is something that is very much alive and well. Yeah. Um, the London Burkers were a group of body snatchers uh, operating in London. So they they were sort of named after William Burke. Um, the they guy apparently, who didn't do the killing. Yeah. They they apparently Sucks for him. They <laughs> they apparently modeled their activities on the Burke and Hare murders. They came into prominence in 1831 for murdering victims and selling them to anatomists. They just copied it. And uh, this happens in London in the Shoreditch area. Mm. They're also known as the Benthol Street Gang. And this led to legislation eventually being passed in the United Kingdom, the Anatomy Act of 1832. Very famous, and, yeah. Yeah, the, the act authorizes the dissection of bodies from workhouses unclaimed after 48 hours and ends the practice of anatomizing as part of the death sentence for murder. Smart. <laughs> so, so Burke was the last to be anatomized as a met of a as retrib a punishment. retribution from the state. Yeah. yeah. So there's Although a lot if of some judges like you're going to be hanged to death and then we're going to take you apart. It's like, I feel like the second part is the least of my fucking worries <laughs> right now. Exactly. Who gives a crap? You can flame me all you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I think is really fascinating about this kid, which I had not considered before I took a little deeper dive on this, was the idea that Knox was leading the charge at mm -hmm. the time in terms yeah. of science and medicine, and in, at least the English-speaking world. And he believed in an idea of transcendental anatomy, which is a cousin of eugenics, right? Sure. Um, it's in the same vein of this superiority of certain yeah. specimens. And that was part of his theater of the dissections was the, advancing his ideas of anatomy, just like they did with Phineas Gage, mm -hmm. just like they did with all these folks, right? Now, what comes out of, you know, Knox and Monroe's era just years later is the Darwinian idea of natural selection and this approach of, Darwin's idea about natural philosophy, that there mm. is a there is an unseen order, there is a competition that does exist among species, but also is adaptation, yeah. um, you know, natural selection, survival of the fittest, all of those kinds of things, um, which is vastly different from the theories of the time. So sure. inadvertent byproduct, not a result or a legacy of Burke and Hare, but the fact that they're the leading ideas of Knox, who was a enabler yeah. and a uh, instigator of all of this, would go out the window in just a few short decades. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. This is such such a maybe for some of us it's known, for some of us it's less known, but this is a big part of our cultural imagination, folks. Um, Absolutely. Robert, Lu Robert Louis Stevenson in 1884 writes a short story called The Body Snatcher, which refers to uh, Burke and Hare. There's a lot of books and stories that dive into this topic. This is really interesting. David Patterson, Dr. Knox's assistant, contacts Sir Walter Scott, who is beloved Scottish author and historian. And he mm -hmm. asked the novelist if he'd be interested in writing an account of the murders, but he declined despite Scott's longstanding interest in the events. And Scott later wrote, this is interesting, our yeah. Irish importation have made a great discovery of economics, namely that a wretch who is not worth farthing while alive becomes a valuable article when knocked on the head and carried to an anatomist. And mm. acting on this principle, have cleared the streets of some of the most miserable outcasts of society whom nobody missed because nobody wished to see them again. No, it's awful. That's a very like Dickensian. No shit. <laughs> and I love it. The Irish importation, these Irish monsters. That's what that means. They're yeah. already under our boot. We hate them. Fucking they got scum. rid of more. Yeah. Scum on scum. Exactly. Yeah. So, as I have been derelict in my duties when it came to the popes, folks, um, where do we find Burke and Hare today? Dead. <laughs> they are deed. 
Um, you can find a Mort safe. They're all over London. You can see them all over there. They're displayed at various places. You can oh, find, very cool. Yeah, you can find one at the uh, Marischal Museum in Aberdeen. But there are Mort safes in Scotland and Greyfriars, Greyfriars Kirk, and all those kinds of churchyards. Mm-hmm. Burke's skeleton was given to the Anatomical Museum at the Edinburgh Medical School, where it remains today. In a case, can be seen right when you walk through the door. Um, so cool. Burke's death mask and the notebook made of his skin is also seen at the Surgeon's Hall Museum. So there's a few medical history museums in Edinburgh, uh, multiple. Um, and yeah. Burke I don't know had- if you remember, I mentioned that one in our yes. death mask episode. Very yes. Briefly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there's so there's there's life and death masks of both men and yes. they, they appear all over. They're mass produced. Um, yeah. as one, they're very sort of desired at the time. Well, they were uh, notorious. Yes. Yeah. And that's and, what happens with death masks. Yes. When I went to Scotland, the, we did something called the whiskey experience. I was in college. I was under 21, which is the drinking age in this country. And so any excuse to drink, we, we did. Hell yeah. And so the whiskey <laughs> experience was a roller coaster that you got in. And it wasn't, it wasn't a real roller coaster, folks. It was a flat tram that went through a little tunnel. And you went from like room to room and you met various Scottish people drinking whiskey. Like here's William Wallace, a mannequin drinking a whiskey before he gets killed. Here's Robert Burns. <laughs> were, were they animatronics or were they, they mannequins? I'm trying to remember. I think they had slight movements from like the seventies. <laughs> they were like, eh, just like, and they were really, really needed a greasing and like, dang it. Like you could tell, you could tell they could move a lot in 1976. Um, so, so what I knew from that is that the, the Scots love a mannequin, right? So there is a tableau in the Surgeons Hall Museum of Doctor Knox, oh. and it's freaky because he's got the dead eye and he's like just bare and dusty and yellowed. So you can see a tableau of Doctor Knox in Edinburgh, the Tanners' Close Lodging House, where Burke and Hare committed many of their crimes. Long gone, long demolished. Sure, which, yeah. Unfortunately, there is of course a Burke and Hare Strip Club in Edinburgh today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have the whiskey. There's like several bars named Burke and Hare. They really they milk it. That's um, ridiculous. Yeah, there's the High School Wind, which is the transportation route of the bodies. You can still walk those streets. Those are ancient streets. Yeah, you can walk these streets. Um, Old Surgeons Hall, where the bodies are delivered, is still there. You can walk up to the yeah. door where they where they knock on the door at night, and you know Knox would answer. So the, creepy. The close where uh, James Wilson dwelled is actually known as Steve Laws Close. Close rather. Um, so these closes are like alleys in between buildings. Of course, the Lawn Market Gala where Burke was executed is still there. It's right in front of Deacon Brody's Tavern. And so it's a very famous spot. And there's a statue of David Hume across from that. And I remember that statue very notably. I did not know that was a spot where it happened when I was there. Um, But it's really wild. And it's right in the heart of Edinburgh. That's so crazy that the Hume statue is right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the philosopher, the humanist world philosopher of that city and of that time period. Of that time. Yeah. And it's a beautiful statue of Hume. He's like him as a, as a Grecian. He's like, he's wearing a toga. Oh, typical. Um, Yeah. Love love to see it. There is also the William Burke museum, which has only one object on display. And that is a calling card case. You guessed it. Made from the skin of William Burke's left hand that was stolen during dissection. So this is like a storefront. (laughs) And it's the origin point for a, 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 a tourism industry in Edinburgh known as the Katie's and Witchery Tours. I have and, nothing to do with this. God, no. Um, and apparently also there are these things called coffin dolls that were found on Arthur's seat in 1836. Have you heard of this? It sounds familiar. So they were these freaky, almost look like voodoo figures. And they're these weird figures that are like on a stick and they're stand that you put them in the earth and it's like a little coffin with a little doll in it. And it was just like the weirdest thing. And there were 17 dolls found on Arthur's seat, which is the nearby mountain little hill in Edinburgh on the outside of town. And so the idea is that Burke was a cobbler, shoemaker. And so people, the, the myth was that Burke may have made these dolls while he was still alive. Really? They they were an object of immense fascination, so much that eight of the 17 dolls are currently displayed at the National Museum of Scotland. Wow. Crazy myth. I got to look up those little creepers. They're they're, they're like, they're creepy. Yeah, they're not the most creepy things I've seen, but they're they're just odd. Yeah. Um, Well, especially if they're just hanging out on a fucking hill. 
<laughs> that no one likes that no one likes to find no one wants to find dolls on a hill. no one wants to find and it's like it's, it's always like when you're alone yeah. you know or it's like your dog is like what's that fido like smelling yep. something awful absolutely um, no, the thank most you. hokey pokey schlocky thing that they do in edinburgh about oh hair love a schlock is the edinburgh dungeons which feature a tour with birkin hair actors who are on the prowl oh, during dear. your tour oh no so they're looking, they're looking at you, they're looking at you, and they're, you. Yeah, trying to feel you, squeeze your cheeks, see how healthy and hearty <laughs> you are. And, you know, you look, oh, you look a bit jaundiced. You need a little drink, my lady? <laughs> William Burke, at your service. There are so many things to read and watch. Um, the Anatomy Murders, a uh, book by Lisa Rosner, 2011. Fantastic resource. I just watched the Burke and Hare movie. I don't know anything about it. It's bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it should be really good, but it's not that good. But it was oh, good. It was fun. Game. It was fun to watch. It's uh, Simon Pegg as Burke and Andy Serkis as Hare. And I love Andy Serkis. I like both of those people very much. Tom Wilkinson is Dr. Knox. I'm obsessed with him, as you know, as we both know from John. Yes. yes. And drum roll. Tim Curry is Alexander Monroe. So oh, I love so that. underutilized. But it's a bad movie. That's but, sad. Yeah, it was, you know, John Landis, an iconic director, and it was his first time making a movie in like 10 years. And it had a couple of good beats because it, it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, so it's they, they do like five murders. They like they make one of the victims an emancipated slave. They do they make some weird oh. choices. They make some weird choices. Like it is funny. It is comedic, but sure. a lot of the a lot of the comedy just doesn't really land. Okay. Um, but the cast is impeccable. It's just it's worth checking out for a fun like oh let's watch a bad movie you know yeah and uh, we love a hit we love a bad history movie too as much sure. as we, we throw shade on that bad cinematic history we have to watch it all um, of course because that's part of the historiography absolutely um, <laughs> so there you go folks you can take it from us um, or you can take it from any one of those resources that we'll share in the uh, show notes yeah about this ridiculous sad tragic history um, that was the apex of body snatching in yeah. the kingdom. Woo! Thanks for tackling that one, Luke. It's a shit story. It's so insane. It's so sad and really, really terrifying what people will do for money. I mean, it's the epitome of that. Of yeah. Like I said, like you're losing your soul. You're doing the most horrendous thing you could do to another human being strictly for money. Yes, they're for completely gain. dehumanizing them. Yeah. And thinking of them only as a piece of meat to be dissected. To say nothing of the dissections, which are also trivializing human beings. Yeah. Um, you can at least give those reasoning of, okay, these are you know, science. advancing science in yes. some way, although it sounded like there was also money to be made there. But yeah, overall, it's just, it's just disgusting. It's a really disgusting story. Like, not most the most disgusting story viscerally that we've talked about, but like no disgusting morally. And the really scary thing about Burke and Hare is they got caught, but a lot of other people did this. You're absolutely right. And it happened in the United States. It happened in England. It happened everywhere where they needed bodies for dissection. Yeah, and the body trade, the bone trade. I know. And yeah, the, Very, going back to John, like it's part of that whole fucking industry mm. that this is the foundation as to why there's so many strict rules now mm -hmm. about what you can and cannot do with a body. So it's an amazing history. I'm so glad that we've gone so deep on some of this stuff. It's really, really difficult history. It's been a body yaddy 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 odyssey, Ooh, okay? It's it sure been, has. It's been a lot of corporeal content for mm -hmm. y'all. Um, so I'm ready to move forward and leave, leave our bodies in the dust for a bit. Yes, we are focusing only on um, the 45 bodies of the <laughs> presidents of the United States in our next few weeks of discussions. They're little more bodies. They're little <laughs> baby more bodies. Um, so uh, in February, in honor of Lincoln's birthday, Washington's birthday, President's Day, which for Katie and I is Christmas part two. Technically, um, yes. <laughs> We love the presidents uh, since a young age, one of our shared passions, which 
It's not something you find every day. You don't no. meet other, you don't meet other presidential nerds who are out and proud every every day. No, and, and most people are that, not proud. The fact <laughs> we were we were thrown in the same fishbowl together for uh, for for five or six years was like meant to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one of me, Mom. There's more of us. Oh my God. Thank God. Um, so we hope you love the presidents too. And we hope that you will be joining us again in the next few weeks for some more morbid content in the Oval Office. Please. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the Morbid Museum wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Stay in touch with us at uh, Gmail at the Morbid Museum at gmail.com. Send us a note. We'd love to learn more about you and what you like and what you'd like to hear about. And you can follow us at the Morbid Museum on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can become a more buddy by supporting us on Patreon, which we encourage you to do. Until next time, you'll hear us for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.